listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. I fancy myself a bit of a Ken Burns junkie. I was watching the History Channel recently and uh, they were showing the Civil War piece and there was this moment where, <clears throat> excuse me, they had this great shot of the, uh, the Capitol, Capitol Dome as it was being built uh, during, the, uh, during the war years actually. And then, of course, they had, I think it's Sam Waterston reading uh, for Lincoln, portrays Lincoln's voice through, the, through the, uh, the series, and he says, A house divided against itself cannot stand. And I thought, what a remarkably Buddhist thing for Abraham Lincoln to say, that in many respects, as we experience division, between self and other, this and that, right, wrong, yes, no. That dualism right there is the birth of a very insidious destruction, but a destruction nonetheless. And of course, I was immediately reminded of the quote by Yasutani Roshi, which is where he said, uh, the fundamental delusion is that I am in here and everything else is out there. That's a divided house. And while it can function in the world, it functions in a limited capacity rather than an unlimited capacity, which comes from deep union. We talk about this deep union in all sorts of different, uh, different ways. And it arises in our experience in all sorts of different ways. It's coming from the unmanifest, and it manifests. Unmanifest, of course, just a fancy way for saying nothing. Emptiness. Being. The manifest is always something. It moves. The manifest is what is born out of the unmanifest. And if we, the manifest aspects of who we are, who we think we are, all this stuff, if that can become consciously informed from whence it came, from the unmanifest, suddenly there is a rather radical power. Radical meaning at a root level, there's a radical power that begins to show up through an individual. When I look at some of the most powerful individuals historically, although they're... They aren't dealt with too much on the History Channel, but still. I look recently at, uh, at 
Mother Teresa and how this woman was able to, in her own way, kind of stick her thumb in the eye of the Catholic Church and serve Christ as she served the poor. Martin Luther King, another example in my mind of someone who was not coming from a place of division. There was nothing in his work or his words that was divided. It wasn't about hating the dominant power structure, hating white people. It was about non-division. It was about serving that in us which is holy through others. Christ did this. Buddha did this. Gandhi. And so what brings this up really is as we watch the United States of America enter into its third year of war, I think there are two ways that we can approach a relationship with this reality. The one way we can approach it is like this. Either we need to bust some heads, we need to show people who's boss, we need to make people see our way. And the other way is like this. And this way is open. It recognizes that everybody, everybody but everybody thinks that they're right. And everybody but everybody can come from a place of truth that is not necessarily our own. Recognizing that allows truth to show itself past any personal sense of what is. It becomes expansive and impersonal. It becomes open. So, It's hard sometimes for people in the depths of practice to figure out which way to turn on this because on the one hand they were raised, especially people in the Bay Area, um, they were raised that the way you go about fundamentally altering things is by fighting the power, is by taking to the streets, by throwing up that window and yelling out at the top of your lungs, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore, whatever it happens to be. And this isn't wrong. But it's not as powerful as a person who does any one of those things that comes from an undivided place where they're not simultaneously trying to create peace and holding a fist where they are contracted 
and they are expansive all at once. That's a divided house, and it ultimately will have trouble standing. It ultimately will have problems being all that it can be in the manifest world, in the real world. So when we're divided, we suffer. When we are undivided, when we give all of our experience, our undivided attention, that is the end of suffering. An undivided attention helps us to recognize that our mind will go and abide or attach or cling to past events and future events. And in that space, it creates fists. Okay? It's just the way the mind works. It's just the way the ego works. Uh-huh. Past. I remember that. Or, uh-huh. Future. I'll get there. Or, I'm going to avoid that. Or, <laughs> this hurt. Either way, that space right there creates a division because it's then about me, mine. And that is where war actually begins to show up. It's internal. But the case readily can be made in that moment that a peacemaker cannot exist if they are at war within, if they are divided within, if they have hate for an administration, for a particular group that is perceived as other than, for an ideology, for a complacency, if there is that resistance born within, then our ability to affect change is slight. In fact, we can oftentimes be part of the problem. We can be the, the continuance, if you will, of the unconsciousness. We can be an expression from that place of suffering. And non-suffering, you ready? Non-suffering is accessed through a systematic shift in a relationship we have to the real world. Not that it's from an unreal world, but it's from what's on the other side of the real world where the real world is born from, from this unmanifest, when we systematically begin changing our relationship from all that is contracted and divided into what is totally unified, we do this through stillness. As we do this, we start recognizing our division internally. We start recognizing how we kind of create boundaries, how we hide in here and perceive everything out there as other than. 
So this stilling, actually, we give it a name. It's the middle way. We call it the middle way. This stilling allows us to begin to not only recognize that in us which is contracted, but it also helps us recognize that in us which has always and forever been uncontracted, unified, total, instead of limited. Instead of limited. And walking that middle way allows us to access both as needed. The choice that we have at that point is the choice of the mystic. It's the choice of the opening. It's the choice of the all. It's infinite choice born in that moment, the minute we can walk that middle way, recognizing that we are at once unmanifest and manifest, that we are open and that we have a contracted self-sense. So, as a great question, and after all, answers are always found within the questions that you ask, they're already there. The great question is, how then? How do we do this? This all sounds really nice and fancy, uh, great. Actually, even sounds kind of easy. Just let go of everything. Be still. Or as the, uh, the Bible says, be still and know that I'm God. Is that it? Okay. I'll just be still and I'm set. Um, but there's actually more to it. And I have discussed, I believe it was last week, we talked about the no abiding mind, the mind that doesn't rest or cling to anything, but one that actually is free functioning and open and meets the experience, recognizes itself as stillness and that it is one with the all, all at once. That witnessing awareness in us gives us this tremendous freedom. We witness our experience, we see our experience, we watch our experience, and thus we can become intimate with our experience without getting caught by it. And from there, miracles happen. Miracles happen. Behaviorally, we can look at this as, uh, in, uh, in Zen we call it precept work. You know, what is your vow? If you vow not to harm you automatically are walking that path. We oftentimes look at this as five, five basic steps that will get us in that spaciousness. We do not kill. We do not steal. We do not lie. We do not abuse our sexuality and we do not abuse intoxicants without getting too far into 
another Dharma talk here. This is an amazing quick guide. Don't kill. Especially don't kill your ego. Create a new relationship with it. But don't kill it. Don't kill another. Okay? Now, I guess uh, a few weeks back when I was taking antibiotics, technically I was killing the bacteria that was inside of me. Okay? So does that mean that I'm no longer uh, worth my salt as a spiritual teacher? Well, probably. You know? I'm fired. Okay? <laughs> but what's the intention? What's the intention? This gets to be a real, real interesting space of looking, and I want to continue with this on the next time we, we, we meet, but think about that. Would you kill? Could you kill? If pressed? If someone you loved or love was in harm's way and you could prevent it, and the way to prevent it was to kill that person, would you? If you did, does that mean... You're fired? Hmm. Interesting. How about stealing? Would you steal medication if you knew it could save the life of someone you loved? I mean, this is a real, this is a great psychological, you know, the ethical or moral, moral hierarchy, Kohlberg's moral hierarchy, you know. Lying? Would you lie? To help someone that you loved? What would be the intention of the lie? Is it so that they could gain or so that they would be protected? Abusing your sexuality? Could it be perhaps that denying your sexuality is abusing your sexuality? I'm sure I'm going to get lots of emails over that comment right there. But uh, think about this. Sexuality is a celebration of our life, yet if it's celebratory only as a personal focus or a space of personal gain, there can be harm. Harm for the other person, harm for yourself. It diminishes you as you diminish another. Lastly, Abusing intoxicants? What intoxicates you? It's not just drugs and alcohol. Maybe it's this practice. Maybe the practice of meditation is an intoxicant to you. If it is, be really intimate with that experience. Maybe... It's Pinot, Pinot Noir. For me, that's, that's a weakness of mine. Okay? So, a limit. How much and when. But it doesn't mean that I don't ever touch it. I'll probably get emails over that too. There's this newfangled relativism that looks like Buddhism, maybe, maybe. But I still think that these precepts, these vows can carry us along this path. 
not killing, not stealing, not lying, not misusing our sexuality or abusing it, not misusing or abusing intoxicants. From there, the infinite flowers, the no abiding mind, reveals itself. The great union happens with us and others in the form of a communion, always and forever. We are no longer a house divided against itself, a self divided against itself. We literally go through the world as openness, as unity. Uh, people in podcast land can't hear you unless you use the mic. Okay? And they always say that the, the, the Q&A is their favorite part, which I've learned to just let go totally. All the work I put into the Dharma talk, screw that. It's about it's pretty much what you guys say. Um, I felt this was a great experience. I met a wonderful young fellow. It was um, an honest experience. We shared our deep feelings, and I think sometimes in life we don't share the within. It's all a surface, and I, I just felt a connection. That's me. And I love to do this again. Okay, I promise. You got it here. We can pass it this way, actually. Okay. May I say something there real quick? That sharing that you're talking about, that's undivided. Sharing is the path towards non-division. Division is this, right? Sharing is breaking that down to this, and you feel it. Yeah. Yeah. Neat.